0: Turn with me, if you would, to Ruth, Chapter 2. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Ruth. Um, hey, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving, got to spend Thanksgiving with some friends, and uh, I hope you had a good Black Friday. Uh, I hope your Black Friday was as exciting as mine. I went on a two-hour bike ride with my kids. Uh, through the forest, and uh, two of them had to go to the bathroom during the bike ride, so they did what you do uh, when you're on a bike ride in the forest, and they went to the bathroom. And uh, so, all is well, all is well. (laughs) Train up a child in the way they shall go, and they will not depart from it. Okay, so, Ruth, Chapter 2. Catch you up a little bit on where we've been and uh, where we're going. So we started this story with uh, a couple, Naomi and her husband Elimelech. They moved to Moab because there was a famine in Judah where they lived. And so they moved to Moab just to try and survive, to provide for their family. They had two sons. And while they were in Moab, Elimelech died. Naomi's two sons married two Moabite women, which was a big taboo back in Israel because Moab was not someone that Israel was particularly friendly with. Naomi's two sons died, leaving Naomi with no husband, no sons, and basically no hope for a future. She decides to go back to Bethlehem in Judah. And uh, through a series of events and talking with her daughters-in-law and trying to convince them to stay in Moab, one of them stays, and the other says, no, I'm coming with you, and that's Ruth. Ruth comes with her. And so Ruth uh, decides one day, as they're back in Bethlehem, listen, we've got to make things work. We, we have to survive here. I'm going out to the fields to gather barley and grain that are left behind from the harvesters. Now, there was this ancient law that we looked at last week, and I want to remind us of it, and, and this is what Ruth is doing. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that is why I command you to do this. So God is telling his people, don't ever forget where you came from, that you were foreigners, you were outcasts, you were slaves, so take care of those in your midst who are foreigners. Take care of those who are without. Take care of the least of these, because I took care of you when you were foreigners. And so this is what Ruth is doing. She's going out to the fields to gather barley. And she says to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now she says in whose eyes I find favor because not all of Israel was obeying this law. There were people who said, actually, we're not going to take care of the foreigner. We're going to take care of ourselves. And so there were some who did obey this law, and some who didn't. And by God's grace, Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz. And Boaz is one who is obeying this law. He was not at the field at this time. There was an overseer there. And the overseer allows Ruth to glean, to take what is left over that the harvesters did not take, and therefore to be able to provide for herself and for Naomi. Now, Boaz shows up and he sees her. And Bethlehem's a small town, and so he says to the overseer, who, who is this? Who does she belong to? Now, in the ancient world, a woman needs to be protected and connected to a man, either a father, a husband, or a son. Ruth has none of these in Israel. And so she has no protection. And the overseer says, she is the Moabite who came with Naomi from Moab. So he highlights her foreignness. He highlights the fact that she does not belong. Rather than saying her name is Ruth and she was married to the son of Elimelech, which would have given her some sense of identity, he highlights the fact that she does not belong. And so now we pick up in the last two verses we looked at last week, Boaz goes over to Ruth and he says, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And so in this moment, Boaz speaks to Ruth, and he gives someone who has no sense of identity, an identity. He gives someone who has no sense of belonging, a place to belong. He gives someone who has no sense of significance, significance. He gives someone who has no hope, hope for the future. In essence, he is saying, I will be your Protector. I will watch over you. I've told the men not to bother you, which she was in great danger of as a foreigner who had no one protecting her. And he says, I will do that, and you feel free to glean. And so Ruth, in verse 10, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? What have I done? Why why have you noticed me? I'm a foreigner. I am not worthy of you protecting me. Why have I found favor in your eyes? There's a lot going on within Ruth's question. Boaz has just said that he's told the men, his harvesters, not to bother her, and that he will protect her, he will watch over her. Ruth is definitely in this moment when she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? She is definitely thinking, what are you expecting of me in return? And very likely thinking, he is expecting sexual favors in return for his protection. This is her deepest fear at this moment. He's going to expect me to do things for him sexually. That's why I found favor in his eyes. And shows she is at his feet, thanking him for his protection, and why have I found favor? What are you going to expect from me? And Boaz says to her in verse 11, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He makes no hint at sexual favors. He only says, I've heard what you've done, and I want to bless you because of it. I'm going to protect you and care for you the way you have protected and cared for Naomi. May the Lord bless you. Under this God, whose wings you have found refuge. This was a big theme in the Hebrew Scriptures: the God of Israel as the God of refuge. Uh, in Psalm 46, we see this. Psalm says, "God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble." Therefore, we will not fear. I'm going to stop there for a moment. The psalmist says, God is our refuge, our strength, and ever-present help. Therefore, we will not fear. What fears drive you? What fears are present in your life? The psalmist says that there is nothing to fear because God is our refuge. God is our strength. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. Whatever is happening, whatever is going on in your life, God says, be still, be at ease, take a deep breath. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. Something that I, uh, I find so courageous and commendable about the people of Paris is that in the midst of these horrific terrorist attacks, they have this, this motto, we won't be afraid. We will not be afraid. This sign is up at one of the, the sites. If, if you can go back one. We weep, but never fear. And then uh, the next one is, is one you see all over. It basically says, I'm not afraid. We're not scared. Uh, And in the midst of these horrific acts, they're saying we refuse to live in fear. Uh, So much so that uh, they have, since the terrorist attacks, they have increased their commitment of the number of Syrian refugees that they are going to allow to come into their borders and take refuge. They've increased it to 30,000 over the next two years. This is a people who says "We, we will not live in fear no matter what is going on in the world around us we will not live in fear and this is what Boaz is saying to Ruth I I see that you you're living under the wings of God in whom you find refuge that you are refusing to live in fear even though the world is a very scary place even though you are a very vulnerable woman as a foreigner I see that you're refusing to live in fear. Ruth responds to Boaz in verse 13, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease, which in the Hebrew literally means you've allowed me to breathe. I can take a sigh of relief. By speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing Of one of your servants. And so Ruth is overwhelmed with gratitude by Boaz's kindness to her, his generosity to her, uh, his protection of her. And she says, I recognize that I'm I'm not even at servant status. I'm like here, then there's your servants in your way up here. Thank you. May I continue to find this kind of favor in your eyes. And so think, think about that for a moment, that Ruth sees herself down here as we look at the next verse. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some leftover. What's Boaz doing here? He's leveling the playing field. He invites her to the table to eat with him and the harvesters. And then what does he do? He serves her. She says, I'm I'm not even at servant status. And he invites her to the table. And then he offers her a meal. He serves her. A meal. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. There's abundance. I, I think in Boaz's minds, because the Hebrew people they were constantly told to remember, to remember, remember your past. Remember where you came from. One thing Boaz is remembering is that not all that long ago there was a famine and they were without. They were hungry, they were desperate for food, and they were in want. The famine has ended. It's harvest time, and Boaz is a man who has abundance. What does he choose to do with his abundance? He shares it. He shares it with those in need. What will we do with our abundance? Boaz is one who gives it to someone in need and offers her protection. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick and don't Rebuke her. So here, Boaz is now going above and beyond. Uh, the overseer had done what the law said, allowing Ruth to glean. But now Boaz says to his men, uh, don't, don't just let her glean. Give her extra. Uh, the, the stuff you've already harvested, pull some sheaves out and leave them for her so that she can gather those too. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. An ephah is around 28 to 30 pounds of barley. This is an abundance of barley that she has that she can now take back to Naomi. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Oh, sorry, verse 18. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So not only does Naomi see, oh my goodness, all this barley that you've gleaned today, but Ruth pulls out an already prepared meal that she had left over to share with Naomi Naomi says, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And so, a lot going on in verse 20 here. When Naomi says he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead.
1: Uh,
0: In the Hebrew, it's very ambiguous as to who Naomi is referring to. Is she referring to the Lord? Or is she referring to Boaz? And many people believe that the narrator wrote it in an ambiguous way because the narrator is referring to both. That this kindness, the kindness of God, is working through Boaz to Ruth and to Naomi. And, Naomi says, and to the dead. And this is why. Because a guardian redeemer was responsible to care for those in his family who couldn't care for themselves. And part of that responsibility was to take on the land of a relative who had to either under extreme conditions sell it and couldn't buy it back or who had died. And so the land of Elimelech is available to redeem and Boaz is one of these people, a relative of Elimelech, who has the opportunity to redeem this land. We're going to find out uh, in the next chapter that there's someone else in line first who can redeem it before Boaz. But Boaz is second in line in the opportunity to redeem this land, to buy it back, and therefore to care for Naomi and Ruth, to give them hope for a future where they had no hope before. And so this kindness spoken of, the first week Uh, or a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at Ruth, we looked at this word kindness. When Naomi said to Ruth, may the Lord bless you for your kindness to me and to your dead husband. The word kindness is the word said. It's a very powerful word in the Hebrew language. It's this word that shows the loving kindness, the mercy, the compassion of God to others in a way that they could not do something for themselves. It's this capacity to do for someone else what they have no capacity to do for themselves. This is what God does for us, and it's what God invites us to do for others, to show chesed to others in a way that they cannot for themselves. And this is what Ruth has done for Naomi, And this is what Naomi is saying Boaz is doing for her. For Naomi, for Ruth, and even to honor the name of Elimelech who has passed away. If Boaz redeems this land, it's as if Elimelech's legacy lives on through Boaz. This is the understanding the Hebrew people had when it comes to land. Land is extremely important. Boaz is this guardian redeemer. And so Naomi and Ruth, who had no hope, now see a potential hope for a good future. They came back completely empty. Remember Naomi, when she came back, the the town is all stirred up, and they're like, oh, it's Naomi, it's Naomi. And, And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. And we see in this passage a significant shift in Naomi. It's like she has this aha moment. She's like, oh my goodness. I've been living with this belief that God abandoned me. God left me with nothing. And suddenly she's waking up and realizing God has never abandoned her, God has never left her, and there is hope for a future. And we're beginning to see that hope unfold. And we see it begin to unfold through the loving kindness, the hesed of God through Boaz, being able to provide for them something that they could not provide for themselves. What does it look like to provide for someone else what they cannot provide for themselves. Uh, I think if we all took a moment, we could think of someone in our lives who is in need, whether it be financially or emotionally or physically, someone in our lives who we know we can can engage, we can befriend, we can uh, be in relationship with, we can do something for them that they could not do For themselves. Uh, As a church, we partner with many organizations that that do just that, that work with groups of people and are able to train them, equip them, and help them eventually do for themselves what right now they can't. And uh, one of those organizations is Be to Live, you know Phil and Mindy Steiner, and one of the groups they work with, Phil if you would come up for a moment, uh, one of the groups they work with uh, are a group of folks who live at the dump in Tijuana. And they live there, and yet they volunteer in their community. And uh, we want to do Christmas for them this year, right? Yes. Calling it Christmas in the Canyon. And so Phil's going to share with you a little bit about what that is and an opportunity on this Christmas tree of how we can yeah. be involved. Great.
1: So uh, some of you have heard me share about my friend Javier. Javier and his family live in the canyon, which is the old Tijuana dump, literally a trash heap that they live next to. And Javier and his family serve their community, just like we do within our community. And he also serves us, so he leads us around his community, he calls them my people. And this organization is called Life in the Canyon that he volunteers with to serve his, his people. Um, we we asked them, we say, so what, what can we do? Um, to to serve you guys this Christmas season and the director the director's name is David Hessler He says, you know, I have 40 um, people who volunteer for this community and I would love to throw them a Christmas party um, And so he said would you would your community be willing to do Christmas in the canyon and I thought that is beautiful in, in, in this idea of serving those who are serving, and not like we 're doing this off on the side but we 're doing this with this community and with this um, with these uh, people who volunteer their their lives for for their own community and so uh, there 's approximately twenty six um, adults and thirty children that are part of this and so uh, what they 've asked us to do is to provide dinner for them, so we 're going to get chinese uh, food and i know I know it seems weird but Chinese food uh, and put a Christmas party and then just have some simple gifts for them. And I asked uh, Dave Hesser, you know, what for, for, for the adults, what would be some good gifts? And he, he uh, messaged back and said, well, about the only two things that are not useful are bowling balls and ice skates. They would be grateful for, for, for anything else. And so on this Christmas tree, uh, there's um, ways that, that, that you can give towards this Christmas in the canyon, whether it be uh, through gifts and with different age ranges and as well as for adults, uh, or if you just wanted to donate um, financially towards the uh, dinner that, that we were going to host. And if you happen, so, so it's going to be this um, December 19th, if you happen to be in the San Diego area or would want to come down and join us for this Christmas party, we would love to have you come join us as well. Uh, so you can talk to either Mindy or I afterwards about that as well. But um, take an ornament uh, and then if you um, want to go buy a stocking worth of just items or school supplies that the children would need as well as just maybe some fun little um, games and things like that. And we just want to do a Christmas party for these beautiful people who live in the canyon. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Phil. Yeah. So uh, I think it would be amazing if we, we were able to take all those ornaments and, and provide for this community and, and uh, provide Christmas in the canyon. Um, As we wrap up this morning, I want to take one look back at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. In the same way that Boaz leveled the playing field in inviting Ruth to the table, and in the same way that Boaz served Ruth, uh, it, it's a beautiful image of what we do when we come to this table. Uh, this table levels the playing field. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. There is no Jew or Gentile slave or free No male or female, no native-born or foreigner. All are one in Christ Jesus when we come to this table. This table levels the playing field. And we remember, even though we will have servers up here that will give you the bread as you dip it in the cup, uh, those servers in many ways represent Jesus to you. Jesus who serves you who gave his body and gave his blood so that we could have life. The, the hesed of Jesus given for you so that we too could share the chesed of Jesus with the world. Jesus who was broken and poured out for us so that we could be filled up with his presence and broken and poured out for the sake of the world, only to come back and be filled back up with the presence of Jesus to once again be broken and poured out for the sake of the world. So this morning, as you come and and take this bread and dip it in the cup, Jesus invites us to remember. He says, remember my body, which was broken for you. Remember my blood, which was spilled out for you. And so may we be a people this morning who remember, we remember who God is, what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, this beautiful chesed, this this hope that Jesus gives us, and the sense of belonging, that everyone belongs. There are no exclusions, everyone belongs. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this amazing story of Ruth that points to the amazing story of Jesus and his ongoing love for us. God, thank you for this story of Ruth, which is a story that shows us we are not defined by our circumstances. We are defined by your love and by your grace. We are people who are defined by Jesus and what he has done for us. God, may we be a people who are filled up with your loving kindness, with your said, and may we be a people who give that love to the world in every area that we are allowed to have influence. God, make us your people of hope, your people of healing, your people of love. Uh, may we never live in fear. May we trust that you are our refuge and our strength. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as you go this morning, may you know the love of God that fills you to overflowing. And may that love flow through you to everyone you encounter. May the grace and peace of Jesus be yours in abundance. Amen.